Hey everybody, Kenny here. The episode you're about to hear went a little longer than we like to normally, so we've broken this up into a two-part episode. Here's part one. Hello and welcome to the MLM.com podcast. I'm your host, Kenny Rollins, and today we're joined by Mitch Stoll, who's the Vice President of Commission Consulting at Infotrack Systems. Hey Mitch, how's it going? Good, Kenny. How are you doing? Good, good. Uh, and luckily, I'm joined uh, by Mitch here in the office, and so we don't have to deal with talking over the phone. Uh, and today we're going to be talking about compensation plans and specifically how and when to make changes to your compensation plan. Uh, and I think it'd be good for the listeners to get a little bit of background on our compensation plan philosophy. And we're huge proponents of analytic-based compensation. Uh, and Mitch, why don't you give people the, the overview of, of what that means to us? Well, basically that's taking your plan and making sure that uh, to, to a lowest level of it, making sure that you're rewarding the right behaviors. So that you're incentivizing those those people to go out and do whatever behaviors you want them to within your plan. Yeah, and one of my, my favorite examples from this over the years that, that I've stuck with that I think helps people kind of understand where we're coming from is um, several years ago, we had someone that consulted with us who uh, they had basically two main leaders, and one of the leaders was a big proponent of pack sales, and one of the lead, of enrolling people through pack sales, and one of the leaders was not. Uh, and they both were pushing on ownership to either incentivize or disincentivize pack sales. And so the owner came to us and said, "You know, what do you guys think of this?" And and our response always is, or we try to have it always be, well, it's not what we think about it. Let's see what the data says. And we did an analysis, and people who joined the company through a pack purchase actually had a lower retention rate, a much lower retention rate, and a lower uh, lifetime purchase rate, and a lower rank advancement rate. And so through the data, you could see that uh, making a shift in the comp plan to increase incentive it, incentives uh, for for comp plan purchasing or for uh, pack purchasing was probably going to be uh, counterproductive. And so I think that's a good example of what you're talking about. Where what behaviors are you incentivizing, and 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 are those productive for uh, for your field? And so when you're talking to people. What should they be looking at to, to monitor their comp plan? Well, that's, that's kind of the, the science and the art part of compensation plans. Um, frequently when companies come to us, well, they will, they will either be under the, under the mind of, we know we need to change our compensation plan, but we don't know where. Or they'll be under the mind that we think this is where we want to change it, and this is what we want to do, similar to your pack thing that you were talking about. And they say, this is what we want to do. But when we get down into the data and looking at the data, it really isn't the direction to go. Um, and those, uh, a, a good example of those that don't know where to change, um, had a binary company one time that came to us and said, you know, our binary is playing, the points are dropping and we're paying 
out of whack a lot and we can't afford to do this. Well, everything in their plan was under their cap for their binary. And so even though they were a 10% a week leg, they were starting to, that 10% was starting to go down because everything was under the, under the cap. And when we started doing the analysis, it was, became very clear that the leadership side of their bonus had some rules in it that allowed people to earn it in different ways and earn it greatly to a, a higher degree than other people. And so their leadership plan was going, was the plan, the piece of the plan that was going out of whack. And once we changed some rules and even kept that plan separately from everything else, that was all we had to do with it. And so it really is getting down to see um, where the problem is and analyzing that part of it, getting down to making sure that it's rewarding the right behaviors and rewarding where you want your plan to go and rewarding the right people because you can have a plan that's still rewarding the right behaviors, but it's not rewarding the right people. So all of those things are kind of a combination of what we look at. Yeah, and it, it is interesting because, like you said, a lot of times it seems like people will come in with an idea to change the comp plan without even knowing what it is they're hoping to accomplish, right? And it's either because a leader has pitched an idea or because they look out in the marketplace and say, hey, <clears throat> company X right now is really a hot name. Let's take something in their comp plan that that we hear is good and incorporate it into ours. And and sometimes that can be counterproductive just because of the way their, their comp plan rules work. And it's interesting. I know you and I have discussed, and we won't throw out any company names, but sometimes there are companies that are successful almost in spite of their comp plan, right? And so it becomes uh, interesting when people want to adopt that comp plan versus maybe something else that's making them successful. So one of the things uh, we, we've talked about is that you really a company should have a, a mindset of wanting to keep their plan pretty stable. Uh, what's your philosophy on when a comp plan should be changed, if a comp plan should be changed, what should a company's goal be in regards to their comp plan? Well, one of the things that, that I always tell companies is you can't build a comp plan that won't be changed. And all comp plans have to change. They just, by the growth, by whatever happens along the way, changes will need to happen. But you also need to continue to operate under the mindset that that I, I'm not going to change. And I say that because one of the things that can take a company down is a change in the compensation plan. Even a minor change can sometimes be enough that it can just put distributors over the edge that, that they don't want to deal with it. So moving on to your question of, of what to do, um, it, it, it really is coming down and saying, all right, when do we change and what do we look at? It comes down to, is the plan, are the people being rewarded? If you've got leaders and you've got distributors that are complaining about your plan, saying, I'm not earning enough, or I'm doing too much work to earn what I'm earning, and so on, that's a good sign. I mean, and that's usually, that's typically one of the first signs that come into it. Second is, that you notice that maybe it's, as a company, you notice that it's paying just out of whack, that you've got 
people that are earning more than what they should or or you know it just you can just see where in my example before that that the whole plan as a whole is just not paying right it's paying more than what we anticipated and uh, those are really the the main things that you're going to get as signs that it's time that we need to do something now there is one other one that you'd throw in there and that would be that if you just feel like that we need to do something to either be competitive or to tweak it in a way that it's going to drive other behaviors and, and steer it in a little bit different direction than what we're going to get. More, most common is that we want to get, we want to get more growth. One of the things that's important, like you say, is the culture that you build around your comp plan. Because if you don't have that mindset, like you, like you say, where people can trust, trust that they can trust the comp plan, then that's where it can be deflating and even counterproductive to make changes. Um, so I think that's where a lot of field communication and relationship has to go in. Uh, but then... <clears throat> There are going to be times that you have to change to meet uh, market needs. And when you're working with companies, how do you help them identify where the best changes are to make? Well, sometimes it's very obvious and we can just point it out immediately and say, look, this is where your, your, your problem is. And but when you say very obvious, you mean within the data? With, well, within the data or even just within the description. I recently met with a company that he came in and he started off by describing his entire plan. Mm. And he said, now within these commission types, you know, I, I feel like that we're losing people because once they don't earn this commission type, then they start dropping out. And well, right away, that's a clue. You know, either, you're, either your rules are too, are too strong or, the, the way that it's being paid is all wrong, and, and so that's a clue. But the best way to really understand what to do is to do a complete data analysis of what's going on. How is your organization growing? Uh, looking at the different volumes, uh, organization volumes, and how people are earning uh, as, what their earnings are as a percent of organization volume. Looking at uh, the different Within the ranks, how are those being paid and what commission types are they earning from? Looking at uh, your different, your people in the organization and making sure that you don't have people that, that really are making bank and earning a lot just because they happen to bring in the one person that happened to go out and build everything. And so you're rewarding the guy that brought him in as opposed to the guy that's doing all the work. And so it's it, it's really digging down into the data and looking at those kind of things that can help you decide where you need to change and what you need to change. So as a quick aside to, to maybe the path that we're going on, one of the things that when I'm, I'm talking to people is you do get a little bit pushback on that point because one of the things that I point out to people too is sometimes you get lottery winners in a comp plan and it really shouldn't, in my mind, uh, incentivize that, but then you get people who talk about the dream of MLM is that residual income. How do you, when you're talking to people, how do you balance that of the dream of residual income versus 
over rewarding somebody who hasn't really built a business but just brought one person in who they built a business? Well, for the most part, um, some of the different compensation plans, you know, between a unilevel, a binary, and a breakaway will help within that. I mean, a binary is one that you can have somebody kind of get the lottery and get the right position and earn based on what's there, even though they may not have built the organization. But the other two plans aren't that way. A breakaway and a, level, a unilevel plan doesn't allow that as much. You've got to be building in those plans right to, to do that. And so part of that is controlled by that. But uh, on the other hand, there can be other commission types that you can throw in there that will allow people to do that. Now, to the residual that you're talking about, forever since the beginning of network marketing, it's always been build your organizations and you, know, you can live off your residuals. And that's true, however, over the years, the thing that we, that we have learned, I mean, working with the, several of the larger companies, the legacy companies that have come in that have had people that they say, <clears throat> you know, we've got these people that have been around forever and they're making big checks and doing everything and they're not working anymore. What do we do? And so it's that type of a thing that you've got to go in then and say, all right, how do we change this? Still leaving in the potential of earning the residual, but putting in other rules and making some changes so that they can't just sit back and do nothing and still earn these large checks. Yeah, and that, that echoes kind of my, my thoughts on it as well, in that <clears throat> a lot of it is about what's fair is living by what you, what you set, what you, living by the rules that you set, right? And so if, if you set it up properly, a person who brings in a big leader can still earn a substantial amount of money. But there's nothing that says because they're higher in the tree, their check should be higher, right? There's some measure of that where you do want to reward them for bringing in that person, but you don't want to dis... Uh, proportionally reward them. It, it, there are companies that I've worked with where it can actually engender a lot of uh, bitterness because this person knows, the person that's lower in the tree, knows that they're the one doing the work, and if they know the guy above them is making more money off of their work, it can be frustrating, especially if they're not out there building uh, an organization. And, you know, the residual element is important, but that doesn't mean that you, there's not some sort of maintenance, right? If your organization totally dries up, there's nothing to get residuals on. And so, like you say, to build in some uh, healthy expectations uh, of what a leader needs to do ongoing um, is something that's very important. And I, and I don't think it flies in the face of the principles that the organization that the industry is built on of being able to build that residual earnings but just setting the groundwork laying the groundwork for what the expectations are i think is is important um yeah it, it really is a, a, coming back to that same concept you know it's difficult sometimes for companies and it's, it's just because they don't think that far ahead Plus, sometimes they just don't want to have that part of the plan in there, but they don't think 
ahead far enough to say, okay, what happens when people get up to these levels? And what should we be doing with those type of rules? And so that is another time that companies do need to look at. We need to make some changes in, in what's going on here. So Yeah, as when you're when your payout is getting disproportionate to the people who are generating the business versus the people who have gone into retirement mode. And, and like I say, I don't think, I, I, especially leaders, I think they hear us talk about that and get a little weary of, or get a little, yeah, hesitant. Uh, and, and I'm not a proponent of taking away earnings that somebody has made or, or taking away the earning potential, but just of clearly laying out what the expectations are, right? That there's no reason you can't go into retirement mode, uh, but you need to know what that means to your check, right? It can drive a reduction if you're not uh, maintaining certain requirements or just if you're letting your organization either get away from you in depth or even drying up in total volume, that's just math, that you're, you're not gonna have the same, same level of earnings, so. Well, and, and to that point, that's, uh, you know, uh, I had a uh, CEO of a company sit down with me one time and he says, you know, my leaders are really pushing me to change the compensation plan, which is one of those situations of, when do we change it and what do we look at? And he said, you know, and, and looking at the leaders and how much they were earning, they were, they were making a good, a good income. So it wasn't like, you know, you go, they're not earning what they should. It was, they were making a decent income, but yet they were pushing on the CEO to say, let's change the compensation plan. And they wanted it, of course, changed in their favor. And he said, uh, he said what would you tell them? And I said, well, I would sit down with them and I would say, you know, if you want to make more money, go out and build another lake. Because that's one of the things that leaders get into is they feel like that, okay, I've built it as much as I need to and want to, and I'm not going to go working it again from that perspective. Yet, if they really wanted more money, all they really need to do is go out and start building new legs and they could increase their income tremendously just by doing that. Yeah, and especially where, I mean, even within a binary, most binaries have, you know, some sort of matching bonus or something that's paid off of the enrollment tree, and people don't realize that, that depth becomes a factor, right? So you get people who look at their organization as a whole in the OV number and say, hey, this is growing, but maybe it's growing at a rate faster than my earnings. And a lot of that can be driven off of depth. And I think one of the things <clears throat> that is important and one of the things I've become more a proponent of is companies m making sure that they're putting meaningful metrics in front of their distributors so that they can see that. I, I remember working with a, a company a few years ago where the CEO emailed me several times <clears throat> from the same leader, month in and month out, would hit, would hit him up and say, hey, my OV went up by X percent and my check, in her case, was actually just flat. It was totally flat. And I broke down his organization for her, or I broke down her organization for him and said, if you look at all of the growth in her organization, it's coming way outside of the pay the, the pay levels of the plan, and it was actually coming about 15 levels deep. So that means that, that she's 15 people at least re 
removed from the people purchasing. Uh, purchasing, and, and that's not a question for me to answer, but there is a question of how much influence does a person have when you're 15 people removed from that new volume? And so, you know, that's where I think meaningful metrics, and, and you know, for so long we've had PV group volume, uh, org volume, and, and then if you get into a binary weak side, strong side volume, but I think you're starting to see the industry get a little bit more sophisticated in, in the metrics that we're displaying so that people get a better feel for what's expected of them and, and what their organization is actually like. Because I'm one who argues there comes a point where the volume gets so deep that any leader is not having a meaningful influence on that. And I, I've talked with leaders who disagree with me, but... You know, what I, I'm willing to debate at what point that is, but I think there is a point where the depth is just, you've got other people who are influencing that growth. And, and I agree with you 100% on that. I mean, the, the, and, and that's really where I think that a lot of companies fail in their training and in their in their working with people because what that says is I've got a leader that's got a large organization and he may be going around doing meetings and traveling into his organizations and everything, but he may not be working so much with the people down 15 levels or 10 levels or even the leaders in between him in training them. Look, you need to be working with these people. And as you say, it increases his organization volume, but after that volume gets down there so far, even in a binary, because binaries pay, like you say, weak side, strong side, even in those, it's still important to understand that, that difference in the volume. I mean, the, the binary is going to get capped and you're not going to get everything that's in your organization in a unilevel you are not going to get that. Of course, dynamic compression helps a lot with that, but you're still going to be blocked out after so many levels with things in some of your legs, not all of your legs. And um, it, it is important to understand that. Back to the binary, though, that, that some of the experience that I've had with binary companies is they don't understand how important the enroller side of all of that is. And to start showing them the difference in in organizations, particularly if they've got a matching piece to it, like you mentioned, showing them the difference in somebody that has really worked with their enrolling an organization and the difference that it makes in that matching check that they make on top of that compared to somebody else that, that hasn't focused on that, that they focus on the depth in the binary and that's, that's where they keep their focus. Given the great information that Mitch Stoll brought to this podcast, we've broken it up across two episodes. This concludes part one. Thanks for joining us, and you'll hear part two in two weeks. We want to give a special thanks to Mitch for his time and Janet Bangeter and Adam Holdaway for production support. As always, I'm your host, Kenny Rollins. Kenny Rollins.